Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. To my house. Um, I had an experience last night um, in one of the, well, in the post-traumatic winning graduate seminar. So these are people that have already been through the the, the seminars as they are. So they go through all the seminars. And then it was, um, yeah, we don't want this to end. Okay. So we'll keep doing it. And then we'll find a topic every week and we'll get together and we'll discuss it. So I, um, I wanted to talk about how does this, how do your traumatic experiences impact your relationships with family, with friends, and then with your significant other. So then I went to Hawaii, and they said, well, hey, Mac, we still want to have the meeting. I was like, shit. Right? Because I, wa- I, I wanted to participate in the discussion. So then I, so I'm asking, so what did you guys talk about? And they said, well, we, we, we were talking about this. And I was like, yes. So they didn't talk about it. They talked about something else. Thank God. So, um, so that's what we, we started talking about last night. Now I have to tell you this, you know, I got divorced in 2015. I think it became final. Right. And. You know, and I haven't had, I haven't been involved in a <clears throat> a long-term relationship since then. Um, and so, I don't, I mean, this is going to sound kind of stupid, but <clears throat> it never occurred to me because I don't, 
you know, when I think of trauma and life, you know, it's like living your life. So what wasn't at the top of my list was, you know, your, your intimate relationship, you know, and, and I do talk a little bit about, you know, trauma and, um, and your significant other, but not too much. And again, in, in my own stupidity and, you know, my own, you know, world, I mean, that's not, doesn't occupy much of my time anymore. So anyway, <coughs> we started talking about that last night. Um, and it was, uh, it was an awesome discussion. It was an awesome discussion. And, um, one of the things that came out of it was, um, this phrase, and let me find it. So it goes trauma and then the drama associated with trauma, right? That exists in your relationships as you try to deal with this. And then that gives way to this chaotic life, right? Then overwhelmed by feelings of dread because you don't want to go back to this place on a regular basis, right? We then seek emotional shelter by hiding from intimacy and faking it in public. So it goes... Trauma, drama, chaos, dread, and then hiding, and then faking. And I thought, whoa, pretty profound, pretty profound shit. Yeah. Trauma, drama, chaos, dread, hiding, faking. And we had, I mean, just an interesting, interesting, interesting conversation about that. And uh, and so I want to thank everybody who participated. Because um, you're kind of going into the holy of holies, right? Um, and, and the holy of holies in this sense is... Um, we're going to talk about trauma... And then we're going to talk about it relative to your most intimate relationship. How has that impacted that? Yeah, you know, let me just tell you. Um, we, we don't go. <laughs> we don't go there very often. And most people have never participated in a conversation like that. So it was. Uh, it was very very cool. Um, It's very, very cool. And um, I'll just read you something. Somebody said, you know, what are your needs? What do I feel? What do I need? And then how do I get there? And then how devastating it is when somebody looks at you after what you've been through and say, you need to get over it, right? And you wonder what sends people into hiding, hibernation. 
and I would say hibernation in terms of you know hiding on a uh, on a long term basis, and it is when you're greeted with you need to get over your shit, man. <clears throat> you need to get over your shit, and the problem is you know you can't, you can't, and so your shit impacts your relationship, and. And then your partner's telling you you need to get over it because your partner doesn't probably understand it either. Um, so, yeah, it was very interesting. Very interesting. And then I, I, was, I was joking saying, I can feel somebody getting ready to tell me you need to be gentle with yourself, which is part of post-traumatic winning. And that, you know, I mean, because, you know, you... I have to acknowledge whether I care to or not that I'm more fragile than I used to be as a person. Again, and I don't like to admit that. Um, I wish it wasn't true, but the fact of the matter it is, I cannot take the damage that I used to take. Just can't do it. And so, anyway, um, it was a very cool discussion last night. Um, Will Cosentini going to join me here in about six minutes? So, and we're going to talk about some news events. Uh, big news yesterday: um, the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff um, has seemingly given the green light to sexual assault being taken away from commanders and given to a separate convening authority that will adjudicate those cases. So, um, that big news yesterday. And um, the <clears throat> the other thing in the news is the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, and I, what is General Olson's title? Um, let's see. There was a the Senate Arm the House Armed Service Committee had a hearing entitled The AAV Mishap Investigation, How to Build a Culture of Safety to Avoid Preventable Training Accidents. And uh, there was, let's see, two or three panels of witnesses throughout the course of the day. There was actually two panels. The hearing lasted about two and a half hours. In the first panel is a gentleman by the name of Peter Vienna. He is the father of Navy Corpsman Christopher Nem, G-N-E-M, Peter Ostrowski, father of PFC Jack Ostrowski. And then in panel two is the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Gary Thomas, Vice Admiral Roy Kitchener. I wonder if he's related. Commander Naval Surface Forces and Major General Greg P. Olson, Staff Director of the Marine Corps. I will play that for you in its entirety. Uh, probably on Monday. I will cut that up, and I think you should hear it. I think it's something that we should play. So, also news broke yesterday that uh, evidently on Friday, General Caselvi was relieved of his duties as the or suspended from his duties as Inspector General of the Marine Corps. Now, you know, pretty, is it a coincidence that that happened? The 
the Friday before these hearings take place. And, um, and what took the Marine Corps so long to do that? You know, and it is, is it only congressional oversight that gets the Marine Corps to act? So we'll, uh, we'll talk to Will about that. So that in the news yesterday. <clears throat> and also some interesting stuff coming out of the G7. They're pushing back on the narrative that China is, will take over the planet here soon. So uh, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Will Cosentini joins me here in a couple minutes, so don't touch that dial. He's always interesting. is uh, dedicated to uh, a group of people that uh, I spent last evening with, uh, who uh, incredibly honest and uh, uh, incredibly inspiring, talking about trauma and the impact that it's had on their relationships. You know, and, and what's really interesting is most of us go down this road and, you know, we're trying to do our best, and but we don't have a clue really how deeply and profoundly it impacts us. And so, uh, no, so their desire and willingness to share their thoughts and, and their experiences uh, was absolutely awesome. So this is dedicated to them.
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Alright. Check the weather around Marineland. Gives you the following. Sun mostly sunny and seventy seven in Quantico. Down the coast of Camp Lejeune it is Sunny in 83, 29 Palms, sunny in 72, Pendleton, partly sunny in 60, Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 67, Okinawa, dark cloudy 72, and Darwin, dark cloudy 75 in Norway. It is cloudy in 45, so Norway has yet to participate in, uh, in spring to any great extent. Currently, it is cloudy in 62 at the home of All Marine Radio, looking for a high of 73 today, 74 tomorrow, 69 on Thursday, 70 on Friday, 70 on Saturday. So, that all works. Uh, joining me is Will Costantini. Will, how are you? Great, Mac. Here in uh, the center of Marine Land, it's uh, cloudy and 50 degrees. The center, the egocentric center of Marine Land? Is that what well, the- I mean, if, if you threw a dart at the middle of the United States, it wouldn't hit me, but it'd probably land in my neighbor's yard, or okay. right in the middle. That is would be the center of Army National Guard Land. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, there's a certain amount of that around here, yeah. But interestingly, with Fort Leavenworth being 30 uh-huh. miles up the road, I have yet to see an Army flag flying anywhere in the greater Kansas City area, and you probably can't go six blocks in any direction without seeing a Marine flag flying. Why do you think that is? Well, why do you think it is? Come on. We, we have issues. We have, da- we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have daddy issues. The- what did I hear one time? There's only two military services, uh, the Army and the Navy. The Air Force is a business, and the Marine Corps is a cult. You know what? Um, sad but true, yes. <laughs> sad but true. Nobody loves themselves more than we do, and uh, and we all know that. So uh, it is the way it works. I want to ask you uh, – I want to talk about a few stories, all right? Um The first one I want to talk about is sexual assault – um, prosecutions and the system. 
I and I sent you a copy of an article that I read yesterday that I thought was a pretty thorough treatment of of the problem. And for those of us have, that have lived in this system, right? Um, and then and just know this that you know most all of us have daughters, so we don't play this fucking game. You know this narrative of that somehow or other we're trying to wink and, and push this aside is, in my opinion, is bullshit. You know, the people that command, you know, I, I would tell you for the most part, rate to command. Um, give me your thoughts on this idea of this separate chain of command because this separate um, adjudicating authority for sexual assault and, and, and the thrust of, of the article yesterday was it will not do anything to deal with the evidentiary issue that is fundamental when it's he said, she said cases. And so what you're ultimately, what her prediction is, is you will see the the conviction rate go up because the cases that will actually be tried will be less. Because professional prosecutors, without the, um, without the issue of, you know, what's going on in my command, burdening them, simply will not prosecute cases that they don't believe that they can win. Which in 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 these cases in the military, you know, tend to be a lot of them are he said she said fueled by alcohol. Okay, and so um, I'm curious about your thoughts on this on that part, and then separately I want to talk about what will be the impact to the chain of command, because that has been the uh, argument for decades that you know the commander's responsibility. And the tools at his or her disposal are sacrosanct. They, you know, when you 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 begin to 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 parse that out, you begin to compromise the integrity of the organization, and we can't do that. Well, now it seems like General Milley has rolled over and said, "Yeah, I don't, I I no longer oppose this," which was very interesting. I thought. Um, so, give me your thoughts on this. Yeah. <clears throat> First, we should start out with, what's the problem we're trying to solve? We're trying to solve the sexual assault problem. Define it. You just defined it in a certain way, low conviction rate. Yes, I would say when you look at the the testimony uh, and the exchanges between advocates, right, for this separate um, uh, line of, of... convening authority or adjudicating authority um what you see is and i just saw an exchange and i'm looking for it it essentially says you're going the other way right which means more cases are being reported but the conviction rate is going down people say that well let me let me go here and, and, and this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. Uh, as the services have been implementing programs for sexual assault prevention and response, their numbers have been getting worse. And the numbers they're talking about are the numbers of conviction. An increase in reporting is often attributed to a new comfort with reporting, but there has not been a commensurate increase in court martials or convictions. Quote, so if you're going in the wrong direction, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand 
a Democrat from the state of New York, told Army Chief of Staff James McConville during his 2019 confirmation hearing, quote, this is something that you must take responsibility for because it's an issue of climate. The commission, which the DOD has stood up, stood up at the end of March, has three months to review policies and come up with recommendations on ways to improve military accountability, culture prevention, and victim support policies. Kirby could not be could not elaborate on the next milestone for the committee. They're on a 90-day timeline, he said, so these lines of effort are happening sort of at the same time, but on different tracks. So, and I want to throw one more thing out to you when you talk about framing the problem. All right. Acknowledging the difficulty of securing a conviction in cases where there may be no physical evidence or witnesses, the commission also recommended, now listen to this, automatic involuntary separations for accused service members if the claims against them are substantiated by an investigation. By an investigation, so a substantiated claim that something happened by an investigation, but not convicted. The Coast Guard has had a similar policy regarding sexual assault, but rather than process discharges, they bar members with substantiated assault or harassment claims against them from reenlisting, regardless of whether the case goes to trial or not. Now, you know what a substantiated claim is? It's anything that a convening authority says is substantiated. So, uh, you know, look, again, so, so the, the problem that was trying to be framed up in testimony, it sounds to me, is conviction rate. Correct. What was the problem Millie said he was trying to solve? Sexual assault writ large. He said, we're never getting it to zero, but one is too many. So which is which is entirely right uh, the appropriate thing to say. Uh, but it's from, a totally different problem from his position. If you're looking to make a boiler not plate non-statement, right? Yeah, but it's it's a it's a completely different problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, I honestly it, I don't think he's serious about that statement, right? Because he knows he can't solve that, right? So what is he? It sounds like a Pontius Pilate <laughs> statement. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and if you use this line of argument that, that first of all, take it from a critic who hates you and, and don't, you know, don't kid yourself. Kirsten Gillibrand hates the military, right? She's never been one that's going to call the sec def or any of the service chiefs say, Hey Lloyd, I know you're coming in for testimony. Is there something I can do to help you? She's never that person. So when you when you take your criticism from the people that hate you, let's go down the logic path. What other problems has the military not solved? Racism in in, in the country, uh, suicide, Ob- procurement, obesity, theft, drugs, um, spousal abuse. So how many of those things are you going to put into a star chamber? And. You know, th- this these horses are probably already outside the barn because the commanders um, commanders have lost authority over so many different things. But uh, in a good unit, 
with a good chain of command and a good command team, Sergeant Major, CO. Um, the only way you can solve a problem is with their involvement. Uh, and to take things outside and away from them and put them in the hands of experts. Well, if there's anyone that we should have learned in the last 16 months in this country to absolutely despise, it's experts. Experts have locked us down, masked us up, uh, and done untold damage to the country. So when General Milley lays down, uh, again, the, the advocate for whatever other issue is out there, and they will come out of the woodwork saying, well, you failed at this. We need to set up a separate star chamber to deal with that issue and that issue and that issue. Uh, and then you might be fundamentally surprised when the Chinese come calling. I mean, look, it's only the defense of the nation we're talking about here. Uh, Nothing that we should worry about too much, I guess. All right. So let me put that aside. Let me put her aside, and let's let's talk about the issue of sexual assault in in, yeah. in the military. All right. Let me let me read let me read the quotes from General Milley that he evidently sat down with uh, reporters from the Associated Press and CNN as they were flying between Washington D.C. and Hawaii, where he went. For a uh, for a major speech that uh, that the Secretary of Defense gave, quote: "We've been at it for years, and we haven't effectively moved the needle." He said, "We must, we have to." Uh, he goes on. Um, I was adamantly opposed to that for years, and that is a separate um, uh, chain for sexual assaults. But I haven't seen the needle move, referring to a failure to reduce the number of reported sexual assaults. Indeed, in response to policy questions for his 2019 Senate confirmation hearing, Milley wrote, quote, Commanders must retain the ability to hold all service members in their formation accountable for their actions. The authority to discipline service members to include convening court-martials is an important tool that enables commanders to fulfill their responsibility to their people and to establish an appropriate culture where victims are treated with dignity and respect. In his comments on Sunday, Milley said he has shifted his thinking, in part because he is concerned by the indication of a lack of confidence by junior enlisted members in the fairness of sexual assault case outcomes. He said this amounts to an erosion of confidence in the chain of command. So what's interesting about his quotes, and he has one more here, is that he shifted his thinking because junior enlisted soldiers don't have confidence in their chain of command. Now, let me read one more quote, and you can have the floor. Quote, that's really bad for our military if it's true, and the survey and the evidence indicates it's true. That's a really bad situation if the enlisted force, the junior enlisted force, lacks confidence in their chain of command to be able to effectively deal with the issue of sexual assault. But what's interesting to me is that what Millie says is not what is being advocated. What's being advocated is we want conviction rates to go up, so we want a separate, 
you know, uh, convening authority, right? What Millie's saying is that junior enlisted soldiers are saying this system isn't fair. And so Millie thinks it would be a more fair system if you take the commander out of it because the commander is compelled to take the case to court-martial. Yeah, I, so I think that there's two ways that junior enlisted force would not have confidence in, the, in their uh, chain of command. The way that you described, i.e. overcharging. Um, a biased, I, a biased to overcharge. Correct. Yeah, and 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 some of that is sort of uh, protecting. You know, uh, as as a scenario that you described, you're protecting your own ass as a CO. Uh, there's another way that you bring people in, uh, you interview them under that thing called Article 15, and someone refuses right. to accept non-judicial judicial punishment, it goes to a court-martial, and there's not enough evidence to convict. Um, so there's that. There's also potentially on the victim side, so, so let's describe a not atypical scenario. A group of uh, Marines off-duty consuming alcohol the next day sexual assault allegation comes out. Interview all the parties. It turns out the victim consumed alcohol and is underage. And that, so now as a commander, you got a victim who's committed a violation of the UCMJ, who's also alleging that someone else committed a violation of the UCMJ. Well, underage alcohol is a company level office hours offense, typically. Right. Um, so that person be held accountable. But then sexual assault is typically not. Uh, uh, you know, that's a court martial level offense. Right. So that the victim goes to office hours, held accountable, blah, 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 loses pay, et cetera, uh, likely not promoted. Whereas the, the alleged perpetrator goes to court martial and found out guilty because there's no evidence. So that's another way that the force loses confidence. I'm not sure how that changes uh, by having the separate line that goes out there. Okay, let me, um, so let, let, me, let me look into my crystal ball and say, if what that, the author of the article yesterday uh, I'll get her name, but what she um, what she predicted was um, fewer cases going to court martial. Fewer case in, um, con- conviction rates would go up only because the cases that were brought would be fewer, which is not really, I think, what people are are looking no. for when they talk about this. And her name is Catherine Cherkasky. I need to try to get her on to get her thoughts on this. But but she essentially says, look, um as somebody who's been involved in this, you know, for, for my entire career, you know you know, and she you know, there's a section in this that says sex proving sexual assault isn't easy. You know, and and so to me what you're looking at is In her last paragraph, she says this. When members of Congress bemoan the low conviction rates in military sex assault cases, what they're saying is this. Without analyzing the specific facts and circumstances of each and every 
case or sitting through the trials, I believe that these people were wrongfully found not guilty in a court of law that afforded these military members the same constitutional rights as anyone brought to justice in this country. This should collectively shock us as a nation. As a woman, mother of five children, and veteran myself, I want nothing more than to see the eradication of sexual assault from both the military and our society at large, but not at the expense of our constitutional rights, which apply to all accused of a crime in this country, even military members, and even in hashtag me too cases. Yeah, I mean, and this is where the chairman, you know, it, it, and I'm I, again, you know, I, sometimes I think these people, they don't understand. They are in the middle of the point of history right now. General Milley is the chairman. He is the senior uniform. Uh, and the idea that go into testimony and challenge Senator Gillibrand, Senator, you know, of the 572 cases last year where people were not convicted, let's go through the evidence and you tell me why you're smarter than the jury of their peers per the UCMJ and the Constitution of the United States that we need to make this completely different. And you got to do that sometimes or nobody no, nobody does nobody does that though. Let me so let me no. ask you a question. So why does nobody do that? Why does nobody why does nobody push back in public testimony on Capitol Hill? Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, I, yeah, it's disgusting, isn't it? Because yeah, the 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 short term, what's going to happen here is reported cases are going to double, the conviction rate is going to triple, and the total number of people convicted is going to be less, right? And so now. The next thing that comes in with Kirsten Gillibrand is, well, you had 100,000 allegations, but only seven convictions. And the military say, yeah, but our conviction rate was 100%. Isn't that what you wanted? No, I wanted something else. They're actually not looking at the fundamental problem, sexual assault in the military. You know what? It's a really, really hard problem. As it is and on... And we don't want to... As it we is don't on, want to do what it takes to solve it. As it is on every college campus in this country? Right, exactly. Right? Where, where do we stand against society in a similar demographic? You won't find a similar demographic because college campuses are more than 50% women. Right. You know? Right. So, uh, but but again... But what is the, tr- what is the, the what is the trend in sexual assault cases on, on college campuses? I'd be curious to see. And then how does the military stack up with that? What is the conviction rate? You know, yeah. what are the numbers per capita? Right. I bet and, the trend on college campuses is absolutely horrific, shocking. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and what is their but, and what is their conviction rate? And what yeah. is it, what and how has Less. it been trending? How has it been trending over the over the course of well, last year? Well, saw what colleges did. Colleges uh, basically went to a star chamber where an accusation was a conviction. Right. Now they couldn't hang jail time on people; they just kicked them out of school, and that was done under you know the umbrella of the Department of Justice, which basically stripped away the accuser's rights. The accused, the accused rights. Rights, right. And now there's been some pushback on that. Um, but that's how colleges attempted to solve it. Right. 
Right, which now, is which is we, which is what this will do, and and well, if, if and it's, what it's been put in there that a right. substantiated claim. Right. Well, well, and that's the service. That's the services acting, a substantiated yeah. claim. Well, and again, what does that mean? A substantiated hey, look, claim a, that if, something happened. If you're a convening authority and you and you refer this to a court martial, it must be a substantiated in your mind. Is there going to be a separate investigation? Look, we've had investigations of very senior officers who went to court martial and were found not guilty. And uh, people put that that allegation had been substantiated, and those people were unpromotable after that, even though they had taken it to a court martial and been found not guilty. To me, it's uh, it it it. It doesn't appear just, um, but it happens. It doesn't happen a lot, but it right. does happen. Right. Um, no, but it, so that's to that's to, to more senior people, to junior people, it's not um, uncommon, right? Yeah. It's not uncommon, and and so if you look at the predominance of cases, it is mostly junior, and it's mostly alcohol fueled uh, events, and and so in the midst of that, you try to collect the evidence. To, um, um, to 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 gain a conviction on somebody. I mean, that's that's what the UCMJ is for. Let me ask you. So so it's interesting, Millie's perspective on why this needs to change, that there is no confidence, and I think you rightly point out that the con- the lack of confidence comes from both sides. The victims don't feel confident that that there's going to be a conviction, right? And then other people think that look, we're being railroaded by this, railroaded by this stuff. The allegation is going to destroy my my career, you know. And so, um, and so we need. And then from the commanding officer, I would say they're biased to take it to court martial. Absolutely right, because let the court take the shit for it, right? I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have an allegation that, that I didn't take it seriously and I didn't send it to a court martial. So, I mean, I would say it would be very, very rare, right? That an allegation would be made to a commanding officer who would not refer it to a court martial. Yeah. And you know, you just for everyone out there as a CO, you're responsible for, for protecting the rights of the accused and to ensure that there's an appropriate response to an allegation. Um, and, and in the end, military justice is supposed to be, you know, to support good order, morale, and discipline. And Marines have got to know that the system is fair. Uh, and so that means that for completely unwarranted allegations, your job is to protect the rights of the accused. And even in, you know, take away sexual assault cases, you know, a guy pops positive, for drugs, and you bring them in office hours, uh, and you want to send them to a court martial, you are still responsible as a CO to make sure that his rights, as he accused, are protected. So, you, so you do have that. But in a case where there appears to be a serious allegation, um, and it's it's of a the offense is not minor in nature which means that's what is supposed to be handled in office hours. Um, you're typically going to push that to a court-martial. Uh, and, you know, every 
convening authority out there has got a lawyer, not who lives in the office with them, but is your sort of prosecutor. Uh, and those people got to do what you say. In the end, when you say convene, you know, special court martial, they may not like the case, but they're going to try it. Uh, and it's going to jam up the system and they're maybe are not going to get a conviction. Um, but to make it fair, that's what you got to do. Uh, only in, you know, the most egregious of unwarranted accusations, are you going to bring something into your office and drop it? Um, and you can. And yeah, but I, I think though the, the bias is not to. And again, no, the bias well, definitely in sexual assault is not to. Is not definitely to, right. And so, but again, the, the problem here that the article, you know, it, and the article was written. It, it appeared in USA Today. It was published on March 31st. <clears throat> so um, the headline is "Military Takes Tough Sexual Assault Cases to Trial." Right, and the word "tough." Right is 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 an interesting word, right? That's why its conviction rate is so low, and so what she, what Catherine Cherkasky, you know, does is outlines the problem of uh, many of these cases, which is he said she said fueled by alcohol, with no reporting, you know, and no no evidence of an assault. That the military will take that, the commanding officer very conscious of the fact that he does not want to be accused of looking the other way and being part of the good old boys network or the good old girls network and, and kind of shoving this off to the side will in fact refer that to court martial where a, a, a prosecutor would look at it and say, I'm not going to do it. So what she, yeah. So what, what she outlines is the difficulty in, in the battle for evidence. Right. And, and so she says, look, there's no lawyering that can take, a lack of evidence and turn it into a conviction. It just doesn't exist, right? And and so she she outlines the difficulty, you know, of 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 these kind of convictions. She says, look, the military investigates vigorously violations of the UCMJ, especially in the area of sexual assault. Now, I would tell you, I think sexual assault is probably the number one most investigated offense. In, in the U.S. military. I don't know that. But if you racked and stacked what NCIS and and CID for the Army spend their time doing, I would say, without knowing, I would say the vast majority, the sexual assault investigations are voluminous. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, right. you know, I was... Uh... There was only a CO of one unit that had any that had women in it. That was a weapons training battalion. Um, I don't remember a single sexual assault. I mean, yeah, investigation. Yeah, because you know, drugs. If somebody pops, there's not a big investigation. Other things, weird stuff happens, right. um, theft or whatever. But those are one-off type of things. Yeah, you, you might be right there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no lack of energy and effort on this thing at all. And and again, I, I just look at some of the 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 critics. Um, 
wouldn't it be nice that if in testimony there was a real discussion as opposed to a grandstanding? Right. No, and I'm, ask and Senator again, Gillibrand, right. how do you identify the problem? How do you think this solves it? Here's the issues that I see. These things would not be mitigated. Uh, and I don't want to sit back here and say, I got 35 years in uniform, so maybe I know something. But you know what? I got 35 fucking years in uniform, and maybe I know something. So I don't know. I, we've lost. That guy is never going to get to be able to go to the Senate and testi- testify. So let me just quote. Um, let me quote the article again. If you have a low conviction rate in particular type of cases, the overarching reason should be pretty obvious. Like if you're a lawyer. I mean, for the rest of us, maybe not so much. But if you're a lawyer, you're taking close cases to trial. This is precisely the military's formula. So instead of telling certain alleged victims of sexual assault that their cases cannot be prosecuted or will likely result in an acquittal, the military takes a wide swath of sexual assault cases to trial that vastly span the spectrum when it comes to evidentiary strength. That has yielded an acquittal rate of nearly 93% in recent years. This isn't just good defense lawyering lawyering, nor is it some grand conspiracy to keep sexual offenders in the military without accountability. Military court-martial for sexual assault crimes are tried hard by both sides of the aisle. There are exceptional prosecutors serving in every branch of the military today and likewise very talented defense counsels. The problem with military sexual assault is not the lack of prosecutions or even a vigorous prosecution. The problem is the blurring of legal standards to encourage reporting. Believe all women is one thing as a rallying cry, but it does not equate to an automatic conviction in court because the law literally requires the inverse. The prosecution must prove the alleged victim's version beyond a reasonable doubt. The real reasons for low conviction rates in classic he said, she said sexual assault cases could fill volumes. But think of it this way. When law enforcement receives a report of a sexual assault, often the sole direct evidence of the alleged crime is the word of the alleged victim. Good prosecutors find other evidence to corroborate these claims. And in strong cases, military members are not are not only convicted, they're sentenced extremely harshly. In other cases, no amount of further investigation or prosecutorial skill can overcome the lack of proof that the crime actually occurred, whether that's because it was a fabrication, a misunderstanding, or any number of other possibilities is irrelevant to our Constitution. So to me, she lays out the problem Absolutely. of the low conviction rate. Perfect. And, and it's, it's, to me, discouraging that, where's General Milley, to articulate that and say, Senator, I think this is a pretty, pretty good encapsulation of our dilemma. Where does this take us? So let me ask you, where does it take you as a commanding officer? Because the argument has been, you know, the right of the commander, you will usurp the chain of command, you will, you will, you will usurp the commander if you remove this from the commander's um, yeah. uh, so tools. What's, what's what impact? What's the next thing that COs are not competent to do? They're not competent to do this. What is the, what's the next thing that they're not competent to do? And then, okay, are we going to run military units from the Senate Armed Services Committee? 
or from the chairman's office. You know, again, we, we, we've sort of got a tried and true method that we've thought a lot about that's built on thousands of years of human history. That the person in charge is the person in charge. You are responsible. I mean, it's something you learn at the Naval Academy, definitely not the first day, but the first week. You are responsible for everything your unit does and fails to do. And you start taking away from that, then all of a sudden you're not responsible. And if you're not responsible, who is? Well, maybe we'll have a committee. I don't know. But we got to the place we are because we thought about it a lot. Uh, and it doesn't, think, doesn't look to me like we're thinking a lot about this. The fact that, you know, a uh, uh, seemingly competent lawyer wrote an article in USA Today and has got more thoughtful discussion of this than any senator or the chairman or any of the service chiefs, that's what should shock us. No, it's, it, that's what's disturbing about it. That's totally disturbing. Right. These people have got a lot of control and don't seem to be, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So. So, so to me, if, if, if so, this is going to get its own lane. I think the impact on commanders will be relief. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the near term. Yeah. But. Relief. You still and then, own and, it. And, yeah. So, so yeah, I know you're in that system. You know, good luck, right? Uh, we'll be waiting to see what happens. In the meantime, this is your status. You know, essentially, it's a, it's a Pontius Pilate moment where I get to wash my hands of this thing. And whatever happens, I'll deal with it. But I'm not responsible for it. And so, I again... And this I, shit drove me fucking crazy. And, I do, and again, there won't... I, if you believe her article, you know, Catherine Chirasky's article, if you believe her... Prosec- uh, um, convictions are not going to go up. Conviction rate is conviction. Go con- con- total convictions are not going to go up. The no. rate will, but that's just that's just eyewash. And so now we're then we're going to have another conversation a few years down the road to say why hasn't the conviction rate gone up? Which yeah. was the one we could have had today if if General Milley would have taken this article and said, "Hey, I've given you all a copy of this." You know, this is a pretty good discussion of our problem here. And that yeah. is, you know, and, and so what we need to do is we need to drill further into the statistics. How many of these acquittals were based on what? Where he said, she said, you know, fuel alcohol injected events that there was, you know, no evidence in. Well, if that's the majority of these things, then then there's your problem, Will. How do we frame this? To all you young females here, do not go drink with them. Is that what we need to say? And it's interesting that when when General Amos convened a sexual assault uh, prevention and response team, you know, a lot of the training in that was dedicated to make yourself a hard target. Avoid these type of behaviors. And it was also aimed at junior enlisted male Marines on identifying predatory behavior amongst their peers. And in the end, you know, one of the things was, is that, that these Marines are your Marines, you know, 
father, son, teacher, scholar, brother, sister, yada, yada, yada. And, and one of the difficulties there was this idea that junior enlisted male Marines did not fundamentally respect junior enlisted female Marines. And part of that comes down to standards. Uh, junior enlisted female Marines have different standards, different physical standards, etc. And so that fundamental idea of respect, it was trying, it was attempted to drive through because of our ethos, but it, it faces a little bit of reality. But that's, that was the approach taken in 2011, 12. And I thought it was, it was a good program, except it had that one fundamental flaw. But that was yeah, the but idea. I don't Make think a hard target. I, I mean, that's why I'd be curious to look at the sexual assault cases on college campuses, because I think you would see very similar numbers because it's the same demographic group. And, and, and I don't know that. So if you say, well, the issue is they don't respect. I think you'll see higher numbers. In, because in what? In the military, where? we have greater supervision uh, and more. Uh, there is more accountability. College campuses. Hey, look, when we, when we sent my son off to college, my wife turned to me and looked and said, you know what? It was easier to send him to boot camp than to college. At least at boot camp, I know there's a 24-7 babysitter. It was the damn truth. Right. Uh, basically, 18-year-olds are completely unsupervised 24-7 on college campuses. I, I bet you that the, the problem is much worse there. And unreported as well. We actually have a way to report so, it, in all, but it's a different demographic as well. So right. it's, it'd be a apple cran apple sort of conversation. Right, right. So it need to be elaborately footnoted. The yeah, um, yeah. interesting. I, again, what distresses me is this common theme on the show, in that the lack of intellectual frankness by senior officers in the American military with, you know, our elected leaders um, in Congress in public settings that, you know, that General Milley did not have this discussion in a public forum so that we could we could listen to, you know, when he says, well, Senator, let me tell you, let me look into my crystal ball and tell you what I see. I see the same number of convictions. Because let me just tell you, as the owner of Army CID and now the owner of it all, what I see is, you know, we investigate. This is not a joke to us. We've been working hard at it. All the different programs that we've institutionalized are designed to create more reporting. And we do take it seriously. And we investigate it. And then he would, like, throw up, this is how many investigations we did last year total. This is how many investigations were sexual assault investigations. We investigate this stuff. Now, my question to you, Madam Senator, is, you know, what do we do when we create this special line of prosecution and we don't see more convictions because that the system is working as the system works and what we're really dealing with is the complexity that exists in the civilian world and also in the American military of convicting on evidence of a sexual assault. That's what we're dealing with. And, and so where does the discussion go from there? And ha! yeah, we don't, we'll never, we won't know, right? We won't know. So 
that to me is is problematic. Um, the, the House Armed Service Committee yesterday was uh, was in action. Their hearing um, had two panels. Uh, the first panel was Peter Vienna, the father of Navy Corpsman Christopher Nem, who was killed in the AV accident um, this past July off the coast of Camp Pendleton or San Clemente Island. Uh, uh, that is uh, that was part of the 15th Mew. Peter or Peter Ostrovsky, the father of PFC Jack Ostrovsky, who was killed in the incident. Uh, panel two is General Gary Thomas. This is the Commandant of the Marine Corps, Vice Admiral Roy Kitchener, Kitchener, Commander Naval Surface Forces, and Major General Greg Olson, who's the Staff Director of the Marine Corps. Um, also, so that panel happened yesterday and is very much in the news. Also happening... Before that, just talk about that panel for a second. I, I'm intrigued about that second panel. So the service vice chief, a uh, General Thomas, with a Navy three-star, and then General Olson, whose billet is he's basically, you know, he runs a staff in the Marine Corps. Now, his background is he's Mew commander uh, and all of that. But it's sort of interesting. What is General Olson going to say that General Thomas doesn't say? So why is he there? Yeah, I mean, he, he's not going to say anything different than what General, you know, there's not going to be a conflict between testimony of General Thomas and General Olson. This we know. Yeah. Um, so if he's there as a duty expert, um, is it because he's the only former Mew commander who's wearing stars that's in the D.C. area? Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, and, and that could be, to me, the only thread of his his testimony that would be relevant. But at the same time, it just seems odd to me that the service vice chief, you know, the ACMAC is in there with a Navy three-star. I don't, I, I, again, I, it's, a, it's as if the Navy is continuing to push away responsibility on their part of it. So, so, and, and so you're contrasting the Marine Corps has uh, its assistant service chief, who's a four-star, sitting next to a Navy three-star, which set tells you that the Navy's not really interested. Yeah, I mean, it just seems bizarre to me. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so before I ask you about about some of that, um, news of the former commander of the 1st Marine Division, um, who was the Inspector General of the Marine Corps, uh, has been suspended from that job pending the outcome of General Monday's investigation. Um, give me your thoughts on that, and uh, give me your thoughts on the substance. Give me your thoughts on the optics of it yeah. on, on the Friday before uh, the assistant commandant testifies on Monday, and then the commandant, I believe, testifies tomorrow on Capitol Yeah, I mean, look, look at the process. It's... You know, the Marine Corps is someone's insider OODA loop, right? First, we have an investigation. We drop that thing late on a Friday, and that blows up in our face. And so we decide we're going to have another investigation. And then that's 
hasn't blown up in our face, but it's pretty obvious that something else had. So then, you know, Castelvi gets taken out. And if the commandant would have known about the investigation and read it or someone, you know, a colonel could have gone into an office and said, you know, sir, um, Castelvi might be in jeopardy here. Moving him into the IG is probably the worst spot we could move him in the entire Marine Corps. Uh, and I and I don't think this is 2020 hindsight at all. This is what you're supposed to be doing, and it just seems inept, completely inept. Um, and then on the substance, um, you know, I don't know General Costelby well. When I was in the ACMAX office, he was the chief of staff out of One Mef. He was one of the reliable guys out there. You know, I dealt with those chief of staffs and and the colonels that work for the three stars in the headquarters. And, you know, Kaz was a guy that was straight up. I needed something. He'd give it to me. If he needed something, it was usually because it was important. Um, you know, I, I believe that General Dunford really thought the world of him. Um, I, when I read the investigation, I was just troubled in that there were responsibilities that the division commander had to execute in ensuring that the equipment and the Marines that get chopped over to the MU, and I, I don't have the quote in front of me anymore, but they got to be basically condition code A. And they weren't. And I don't know what the issues were that prevented it. But I, I think there needs to be accountability for that. That 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 is the basics. Those are the things we're supposed to be brilliant in. The other thing uh, that, that I'll tell you that, that I found disturbing is if is if missions – in this case, a battalion going down to the border, impact your ability to do your pre-deployment training, the workup, then it's up to it's. I have a responsibility as your higher headquarters, and I believe the regimental commander of 1st Marines does, as well as the division does, to bring it to somebody's attention and say, yeah. hey, we somehow or other have to mitigate this because these 90 days that they were supposed to be getting ready to do this, they've been sitting down on the border Right and watching dirt, right in support of our effort down there. So we can't just bury dust out of our way and say, "Hey, look, it didn't happen there." So to me, as the owning, as the owner of both the battalion, right, uh, the infantry battalion and the Amtrak battalion, I, I go back to your point about this isn't hindsight being twenty twenty because because uh, I agree with you. I mean, it's like, hey, look, he owns both these units. Yeah. Okay. And, and 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 commanders have to do this all the time in in very in extremis circumstances. Look, there is no battalion in Iraq that had plenty of people and not enough to do. Right? You are always attempting to apply your resources against the the high value mission. And you're always attempting to scrape together a reserve and you're always attempting to do a risk assessment. And how do you mitigate that risk? And then you're attempting to learn as you go. So you're further doing that. So the idea that this is a new thing and it was, you know, beyond the scope of anything we do, I just, it, it, it's not. And there's thir- certain things, you know, that you have to insist on. Um, and, and those are those basics. Um, 
look, if we're if we're doing significant movement with limited resources, uh, that means some people are going out without sleep. Well, you know what? Our drivers are always going to get their sleep because that's a single point of friction. Um, as you're looking across the division, I, I, maybe, you know, maybe it's not this way anymore, but compositing those battalion landing teams to go to the MU was pretty damn high on the priority list. I mean, in second Marine division in my time, it was number one or number two for the MEF. And the reason uh, it's important is because when you put pieces together that don't play together normally, you better get that right. And because they are the most likely to engage in the defense of the nation. Right. Right. Uh, they are out there on the edge of the empire. And so you can uh, see the points of friction, right? If, 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 if Will is a, a battalion commander, if he owns everything, then that's on Will. Okay? I, I hold him accountable you know, for, for doing that. But when Will doesn't own everything, and we're going to put this ensemble together, it's important that the ensemble gets put together well, yeah. and that's and that's under the purview of the higher headquarters. Yeah, and or, case, or if I own everything and my boss tells me you got to do these nine things, and every single one of them is a crystal ball, you can't drop any of them. And you work all through it and say, you know, sir, I got seven of them. I can keep up in the air. These two are going to be challenging, and here is my challenges: resources, etc. That's your job to go back to him and tell him when you're going to drop a crystal ball. Um, and he says, well, learn to juggle faster. Okay, we're going to juggle faster means we are going to take risk. Right. That's what he just told you. Absolutely. And you know what? Sometimes you got to take risk. Right. I got it. Uh, if you're not going to take risk, um, you need to tell him you're not going to take it. And he can say, thank you very much for your service and move you on. Right. And, th- and that's completely fine as well. Right. Um, but you got to have that conversation. And he owes it to you to either mitigate, uh, et cetera. And in this case, the, the MEF commander gave instructions in the standing SOP. Um, and it's just not clear to me that, that that thoughtful conversation was had. The risk was understood. It was mitigated uh, at that level. So it's, I mean, it's challenging, you know, and I don't, the interesting thing, they use the word suspended. And, you know, here's the other thing. It's got to get dragged out in some sort of testimony. Well, if it was done last week, why didn't someone just say so last week? Um, And maybe they did and we all missed it. I have no idea. But there's certain laws that apply to generals that they can basically not be unemployed for certain periods of time. And I I forget what it was. so I'm not sure what the term suspended means. Um, it's interesting. Um, and I don't know how much time in grade General Castelvi has, but, you know, to retire as a two-star, you need three years in grade. I don't know what the commandant's going to be able to do uh, about that either. So right. let, me ask uh, you, let me ask you another question. Let me ask you to comment on this. Um, and I hesitate to do this, but uh, but to me, I think the Marine Corps. I think it's um, it would be um, a firm grasp of the obvious to say the Marine Corps struggled uh, in in not only the investigation because the Navy was omitted, it struggled in the rolling out of it, uh, it struggled in the disciplinary side of it. 
Um, so to use the word struggle to characterize this investigation, um, I think is absolutely appropriate. Uh, I'm going to read an article from Defense One written about the testimony yesterday, written by Elizabeth Howe, who's the assistant editor of Defense One. Beyond the questionable maintenance of the AVs, prior investigations have revealed personnel involved in the incident were also not prepared for the training exercise. Many of the Marines have not completed training designed to teach them how to escape from a submerged vehicle. Swim and water qualifications were not current. When the AAV began to sink on July 30th, the lack of adequate training coupled with the vehicle's maintenance shortcomings proved fatal. Testimony revealed after decades in the Middle East, neither the Marine Corps' vehicle nor its troops are prepared for waterborne operations. Quote, it may have been that the 20 years of landborne operations have caused us to lose some of our amphibious edge, General Olson told Congress on Monday. So do you think that's the issue? The the, the 20 years we spent there prohibits us from doing amphibious operations? Well, interesting. Um, what what were we reporting in our in our DERS reporting? Because amphibious operations is one of those things we reported on. I bet you we were reporting on absolutely code number one, ready to go. So we've been lying. I mean, that's such a sickly, stupid excuse. We lost our edge. The SOP says supply the MU commander with condition code A equipment. That's got nothing to do with amphibious operations. That's fundamental block tackle brilliance in the basics. If we lost anything due to the war, it's a sense of responsibility by commanders that they own everything because we shoved training down their throats and up their asses. Commanders didn't have to design training, didn't have to think through it. Uh, It got provided from on high. You know, the great master of the universe up top gave you a checklist to do and said you'd be ready. I mean, this idea we've lost our edge in amphibious operations is a reason for this thing sinking? No. It freaking sank because they didn't maintain the vehicle properly. It wasn't put forward in a proper condition. The crew didn't maintain it. The battalion didn't maintain it at third echelon properly. They did not do appropriate crew level training evidence. They didn't know when to evacuate the vehicle. They didn't have crew and team cohesion with the infantry unit there because they didn't do any training. The Navy violated the NAV surf land surf pack order on safety boats. They didn't have an observer on the ship to be able to see that a vehicle was in distress. Then when they went to rescue the vehicle, they knocked it sideways into a wave, and a wave went over it, and it sank. The idea we lost our edge because we've been fighting war for 20 years, that is unworthy. And again, so to me, and the reason I teed that up for you is that I don't think that's... I actually don't feel strongly about it either. (laughs) I don't think, right? So the issue is organizational discipline right and the and and organizational leadership do you have that in enough quantities so that you can execute the things that you're supposed to be able to do on a daily basis and so when we say things like somehow or other our amphibious skills have atrophied in my opinion that is completely not the issue here right and and, 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 and so this level this level of of 
of organizational discipline and operational leadership applied to 29 Palms, going to get somebody killed. Applied yeah, look, to, to just you know about that, anything that we do, going to get somebody killed. You know what that statement is? We've lost our edge. That's victimology. We're the victims. We're the victims here. We've been busy doing other things, so we couldn't do these things. Well, I guarantee you in every posture statement that the commandant has put out for the last 25 years, they say we're ready to go out and do it. But now we're the victim. But we had to fight the war, so we couldn't do these other things. Well, fuck you then. Marines have been able to do it for years and years and years. And again, it's not because we weren't in the water, and that's why this one sank. It's because we didn't do fundamental, basic things like maintenance, individual, and crew-level training. Well, and, again, and, and I'm not talking about the escape training. Right. And the again, escape training is, is the cherry on top. Right. But again, what you talk about, in every one of these activities that Will talks about, the final piece in it is a leader supervises it. There you go. A leader supervised in everything, and it reminds me of the investigation of the Fitzgerald. Okay? Oh, the surface radar was degraded. Okay. We've been sailing around the planet for about, what, a thousand or more years? Okay. So how about this? Let's double the external watch. Get them out there. Get them binos. Get them their NVGs. And let's make sure this thing's safe. In every one of those those situations, there is a leadership remedy in all of that. And the same thing happens here. But it was, yeah, we've been doing things in the dirt for too long, and that's why these skills have atrophied. It is the, it is the operational discipline. It is leadership that's disciplined and supervising, and then the moral courage to put your hand up and say, we're not ready to do this. And if, if that's absent, and it appears to be in the organization struggling with this, as the Navy is struggling this with this. And I don't know if it's a cultural change where we don't like to hold people accountable. We don't like to look at you and say, yeah, it's your fucking fault. I don't know if that's it, but I will tell you this, right? You see it in spades across the DOD, right? There was just, I played the audio yesterday of, uh, of SEALs who went on camera, one still on active duty, they have, hooded, they have hooded sweatshirts on, they have masks on and sunglasses, and one of them says this. At the end of the, the, the two parts of the interview that Catherine Herridge does for CBS, she says, so what is the message that you're trying to send? One of them says this. It's three words. We need help. Think about that. That is the elite naval special warfare unit telling the American public, we need help. So if you haven't seen it in the collisions of the Navy, if you don't see it in this incident, there is something going on in your Department of Defense, right, where we're not capable of anymore of doing the basic things and supervise those things on a regular basis so that these things don't happen. And all you got to do is lay investigation after investigation after investigation. And it's not the Marines. It's not the sailors. It is the leaders that lead these organizations that are failing. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, things are flashing in front of me now. As a second lieutenant getting ready for an air alert flyaway inspection and my battalion commander crawling underneath a Jeep with a motor T officer to look at an oil leak and chewing his ass saying that Jeep can't pass the Air Force inspection and get on the plane, so we fail. We can't do our mission. Or uh, getting to Camp Schwab in the summer or spring of 1987, Colonel Van Riper, soon-to-be three-star General Van Riper, had just left 4th Marines. And the legend, he had an SOP on how you wear your equipment in 4th Marines. And he'd walk out of the CP as companies were going out to the field. If you didn't have your equipment right, he'd send you back to the barracks. And he explained, when I was in Vietnam, this is how we wore our equipment. That way we knew where everyone's gear was, everyone's first aid kit, everyone's spare map, everyone's Red Star cluster. Because I had Marines die because we couldn't find shit. So we do it by an SOP. And a full bird colonel going out there inspecting people to make sure that they complied with his order that was based on life and death experience with him. I mean, I thought he was a loon, but I didn't know all the logic behind it. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, I was embarrassed. Those are imprinted right. into my soul as a very junior officer. Uh, I don't know if that would be allowed in the modern command climate wary part of the Marine Corps. And uh, um, look, there's some, there are some leaders that that everyone loves. You're never going to hear a bad word from them. They are great. They make superstar units, etc. But you know what? Those are the 0.1%. The rest of us, uh, if everyone in the unit is happy with you, well, it'll never happen. Right? Right. You, you, you got to push to succeed, and people that can't succeed aren't going to like it. And if you don't push to succeed, people that are meat eaters and want to succeed are going to be unhappy with low standards. So I think I'd rather be the one pushing and pushing. And you know what? Your 5 or 10% are going to fall out. Um, and again, so here, here's let's go back to sexual assault. Let's take sexual assault out of the chain of command. Okay, let's take command climate out of the chain of command as well. So now... The, uh, the unit leader that's pushing to succeed and has got 10% that don't want to follow along, they've got a separate outlet. That'll lead to success. But, I mean, let's take all the hard problems away from the chain of command. That's where we'll go. It would have been, it would have been interesting. We it won't be successful. It would have been interesting if the sector would have said that. So yeah. given this precedence, ma'am, what would you do you think this will stop here because as a service chief if this cannot this trend cannot continue or you will see the usurpation of the commanding officer's authority so can you give me any assurance that, that we're not going to be back here in a year saying you haven't dealt with a f- extremism effectively enough so we will take that from you you haven't dealt with racism effectively enough so we will take that from you. Yeah, and, and again, as a commanding officer, you are responsible for everything your unit does and fails to do, except 
Well, there can't be any accepts. Once there's one accept, no apply the whole premise. Okay. Yeah, of no that apply the logic. Basic. Yeah, continue to apply that logic with somebody you know who who has a political platform and wants to see it, and leaders that won't push back. And that's to me the most disturbing part of this. And to me, I wish General Olson would have, would have said that I don't believe as a leader that 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan had anything to do with this. I believe it should have made us better. Right. We should have been more attuned to pre-combat checks and inspections, maintenance. Look, the best maintenance level I've ever seen in a unit ever in 28 years was probably four months into a seven and a half deployment as a CEO of first LAR. You want to talk about individual preventative maintenance? Because if you didn't maintain your vehicle, you got stuck on the side of a road. I mean, our maintenance readiness rate was through the roof when we were there. So we should be better at these things. Right, because we have leaders that have come through all of that and understand the value of it, and now they're in and then they're in key leadership roles. And so again, that's why I mean, to me, what that's what I wish he would have said. Right. It is that this supposedly these combat experiences and these contingency experience, they make us better because they're real world events. We now get to practice this thing that we've rehearsed for so many years and we learn the lessons, the real world lessons. And you just recounted one from General Van Riper. Right. This is why we do this. Oh, young, stupid one. And again, I, like you, did not understand it when he was doing what he was doing. And I'm embarrassed when I'm interviewing him, and he's telling stories of he had 73 or 75 Marines killed in action in a year as a company commander of, I want to say, Mike 37 in Vietnam. He had over 150% casualties in the course of his year. You know, so if, if his company was about 150, he had close. He had, I think, over 200 between killed and wounded in Vietnam. And so the lessons he talks about are those lessons that Will's talking about. And you come back, and they're written in blood. How do you not take those lessons seriously? And how do you not get after this shit? Yeah, here and here's something interesting about General Olson's testimony, right? That that line, that was that was tested, right? I don't think he came up with that in testimony. They had a brief well, ex- back ex- in the ex- Pentagon. Okay, explain tested for everybody. What does that mean? Yeah, they had a they had a brief back in the in the Pentagon where him and definitely him and General Thomas sat in a room with different uh, parts of the headquarters, and they went through potential questions that were going to get asked and what the answers might be, and field tested all that stuff in a room of mostly field grade and senior officers. And that's what they came up with. Oh, woe is us, us victims, Marine Corps. We had to fight a war, so we couldn't be the amphibious force in readiness. We gave up on our 200 and something year mission. We're, it's, you know, you didn't support us enough. We're the victims. God, God, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, as opposed to, 
uh, senator, representative, we failed. We failed to properly maintain equipment. We failed to properly train people. We've, we've looked at this and we've seen that we've had a systemic failure and it's unworthy of your Marine Corps to do that to the nation. Here is what we are gonna do to ensure that we have proper material readiness, proper training, and proper leadership going forward. Uh, we apologize, because we failed. That would have been a great way to open that testimony. No, and it's what you would expect to see from Marines, right? You would hope. O- owning it, right? You would hope. And, and here's another, here's an email. I don't believe that the majority of people involved in this incident were even around prior to 2011, 2010, and so missed the majority of the fighting in either Iraq or Afghanistan. Well, the majority, yeah. I mean, no one on that vehicle. Certainly. Senior guy, I think, was a sergeant. Right. But, uh, yeah, the the AV lieutenant, no, the company commander had to be about a 10-year guy. Uh, you know, battalion commander, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, battalion commander was probably uh, uh, lieutenant. Lieutenant, two thousand four, two thousand five time period. Maybe a maybe senior. You know, first lieutenant when the war kicked off. Right. Um, but the major- yeah. but but is the point? Of the email is the majority of the junior people involved in this have never been near anything remotely that looks like the desert other than 29 palms so you know that excuse applies to who you know yeah and it doesn't apply to very many in this investigation no right and and so again so when you're looking again i can hear you in my head so what problem are you trying to solve right are we trying to solve that we were in the desert too long well these guys weren't in the desert for very long if ever the only desert they have known is 29 palms so what is the problem general is the you know, so anyway, um, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with the sexual assault thing. Um, and what is the reaction? No, they've surrendered. I don't think it's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, well, what's the reaction when convictions don't go up with, yeah. with, with, with this different convening authority? Because then what you're going to have, have validated is the fact that, no, they are investigated. And... Um, and there is either evidence to convict or there is not. There's no grand conspiracy. And then what? Now what do we do? Yeah, and, and again, you're, you're taking rudder guidance from people that hate you. Right. So right. Which is not. Which is getting better. Which happens on a regular basis. All right. Um, I've kept you too long. Thank you very much for your uh, – good to see you don't feel strongly about any of these issues. Uh, Anything on your agenda for today? Anything exciting? No, I got to get ready. I had a big trip coming up this weekend. Yeah, tell everybody where you're going. What are you doing? I'm going to the uh, posting relief of the Sergeant Major at One Meth. Uh, be on Friday. Who is? So, uh, Sergeant Major Porterfield was uh, first Sergeant when I was CO, first LAR. And uh, we have uh, kept in contact over the years and uh, – Interestingly, his parents used to live down in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, when I was there after I retired. So they saw him down there, and we've got another uh, another former first sergeant, retired sergeant major uh, from the battalion. 
I'm going to link up with him and we're going to go to the pushing relief and, uh, and, uh, you know, it'll be a family reunion kind of a thing. It always is. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And then another part, I'm, uh, I'm staying with a, uh, sort of dodgy landlord for a couple of days. <laughs> while I'm out. Yeah, hey, some good advice. Don't piss them off because they're liable to act irrationally. So just some, just some word to the wise. So I know. I know. Uh, if you're going to do Airbnb, don't do it with crazy Irishmen. Exactly. I, you may, I'm stuck. Your shit may be in the front yard. The, um, <laughs> all right, well, have a good day. Thanks. All right. All right. See you, man. See you. William Cost- Costantini. Um, yeah, so it'll be a test for this this hypothesis that there was a grand conspiracy in the military that they don't take sexual assault seriously. And so we're going to see what you need to track is the number of convictions in whatever new system that gets set up. And if um, and I need to get see if I can get her on. But if um, Catherine Cherkasky is right. And she's the writer of this article. She's a veteran and uh, a, a lawyer and been both a prosecutor and uh, and a defense counsel. Um, the article appeared in uh, USA Today. I'll put it in as a part of this post. I'll put the link to it. But if her hypothesis is right, the next question will be, once we reach that point and we conclude that Catherine Cherkask is in fact right that this the military has taken it seriously. It's a dis, difficult problem in our culture. Um, what next? What's the next step? So that um, Marine Corps continues to struggle with the um, AAV accident relative to the 15th Mew. Um, so that will uh, that will do it for today. Thanks for listening. If you're just tuning in, uh, last night I had an interesting experience relative to uh, post-traumatic warning. And that was, for the first time, I talked about how does this impact your relationships with family, friends, and your significant other? The discussion quickly went to significant other. Um, and we talked about that. Uh, very interesting discussion. You know, and what came out of it was a little bit of a phrase that's in my head, and uh, and that phrase is trauma, drama, chaos, dread, hiding, and faking, and that kind of is the path of people in relationships that go through trauma that don't find a path to deal with it. So, interesting stuff. So, on this Tuesday, thanks for listening. My thanks to Will for coming on and talking. Um, Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. If I can help you, let me know. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, right here on the All Warrior Radio Network. Have a great day. I am out. This program repeats itself momentarily. So don't touch that dial.